He's an expert at digital business models, operations, and organizing programs. He has led engagements on developing innovation processes, Internet of Things strategies, marketplace, and API-driven platform business models. He's a sought-after speaker on creating a culture of operational excellence and innovation, having worked with clients across various industries, notably the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Microsoft, Nordstrom, and several of the world's leading retail and insurance organizations. Prior to finding his own advisory firm, he was a managing director at Alvarez & Marcel, a performance improvement consulting firm. Prior to A&M, he was responsible for launching and scaling the Amazon Marketplace business, which is now over 50% of all units sold at Amazon.com. Join me on this episode of the Curvebenders podcast with the author of Think Like Amazon, 50 and a Half Ideas to Become a Digital Leader, John Rossman. Hi there, this is David Knorr, host of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm excited to share insights with you at the intersection of the future of work and strategic relationships. Make no mistake about it, there are a number of forces in the next two decades that will dramatically change the way we live the way we work, the way we play, and the way we serve others. And I believe there are these relationships that will come into our lives that can change both the direction and destination of where we're headed. Those are the individuals I call curvebenders. So in each episode, I want to share with you insights from our research, from our interviews of great guests and their incredible experiences. I want to invite people to share their ideas and examples of not just coaches and mentors, but real curvebenders that have had a profound impact on their lives. Specifically, we're going to talk about pragmatic ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, and your behaviors. So let's get started. Curvebender's book. Chapter 6, Your Personal S-Curve. In the endless battle between people and nature, there's often only one winner. Nature typically prevails, but we console ourselves with occasional victories. We've made endless inventions to work around the unpredictable whims of the wild. For example, historians believe people invented bridges after they saw how fallen trees could help them cross shallow rivers. We've used that to our advantage ever since. We build great bridges to cross rivers, valleys, connect to islands, and transport people and goods across safer and faster. Curvebenders in many ways are similar to the evolution of bridges, from the simple stone arches of our past to the swooping suspension bridges that run for miles. They go beyond their inherent ability to help us mitigate risks, like falling in a river or off a cliff. Curvebenders can also create unparalleled access to new opportunities and get you to the other side faster than you could before. The deck, the central horizontal platform of a bridge, has no support directly beneath it. Yet bridges tend to last for years due to two large forces that stabilize their function, compression and tension. Compression is a push or a squeeze inward, and tension is a stretching force pulled outward. These two forces channel the bridge's total weight alone. Compression and tension counteract gravity, which is why so few bridges fall. Gravity acts on our personal and professional growth in the form of complacency. 
We need to stay challenged to avoid becoming complacent. Read more of this excerpt soon in our updated blog at norgroup.com slash blog. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Curvebenders podcast. My guest today is a colleague whom I heard present several months ago, and the title of his book, his background, just really spoke to me. And we've been in touch, and I reached out to him. We had a great conversation recently, and he was uh, kind enough to accept my invite to join us. Welcome, John Rosman. David, great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. For those, John, who may not know as much about you, your background, your book, can you talk a couple minutes about where you've been, what you've done, and how you've gotten here? Yeah, absolutely. I, I doubt anybody knows who I am. So I'm John Rossman. I'm a former Amazon executive. So I launched and scaled the marketplace business at Amazon. So that's third party selling at Amazon.com. About 58% of all units shipped today from Amazon are third-party marketplace uh, units. And I also ran uh, Enterprise Services. I was then a consulting partner at a firm called Alvarez & Marcel for 13 years. And along the way, I wrote a few books. My most recent one is called Think Like Amazon, 50 and a Half Ideas to Become a Digital Leader. And today, I run a boutique consulting firm called Rossman Partners, and I work with my clients on how to be innovative and, and create new business models. I live on the West Coast out in uh, Bellevue, Washington, and I really attack things from a customer's perspective, like really understanding like where's their friction, how do you create a world-class experience, and then kind of work backwards to you know what do we need to do to, to accomplish that mission, and I, I like solving problems. Obviously, you tapped into this this idea, but what do you believe is that allure about Amazon? What what is it's it's just become the standard bearer of how to think and lead differently? What do you believe that comes from? Well, I, I think it comes from a lot of things, at least fifty and a half things, right? But I think a few things that people really just remember the past ten years of Amazon, which has just been this incredible up and to the right view of their stock, their success, their growth. And what they forget was really the first 15 years of Amazon. Those were the years I was there, which were really a grind. And it showed a tremendous amount of grit and staying power and belief. And I think, especially relative to Jeff Bezos, people, you know, they know him today as the, the world's richest man, but that guy pushed everything to the table. He stuck with it when everybody was saying Amazon was going to fail. It was Amazon.bomb. And he believed not just for a short period of time, but for a very long period of time about the mission and the really the new management principles that he was putting in place. And I think it could only happen in America. And I think it's a tremendous story of, of grit and entrepreneurialism. And I think one of the things that differentiates Amazon is they are so thoughtful and deliberate about what type of culture they intend to have in their organization. And nothing is perfect. But they're so thoughtful about it, and and they're fine with the fact that Amazon isn't a place for everybody to work. And I think that's really an important aspect of culture is we always think of it as like, hey, it needs to attract talent, but it should also repel the wrong type of people. You want 
a place that attracts the right people, the right mission, right skills, right orientations. And Amazon's just been very thoughtful about it. And I think the last thing I'll mention right now is just long-term thinking perspective. They do not do things for short-term basis. They do not follow what Wall Street says. And, and they really invest and believe in the long term. And that really creates a different playing field that allows them to invest and evaluate in a different perspective than, than most other companies. And over a long period of time, now I think we see what that gets you, which is an incredible multi-sided business that's durable and is able to respond to moments like we're experiencing now during the pandemic. Do you believe, I think many have tried, Walmart, Target, and a whole bunch of people have tried. Do you believe there's legitimately anybody, maybe other than U.S. government, that can threaten Amazon and their business model and prowess? I think all those organizations are really doing a great job uh, relative to their mission and growth. It took them a while to really buy into like, oh, yeah, we really do have to change our model. But I think for those organizations you mentioned, that happened a few years ago. They're doing very well. I think Amazon, everybody is so in tune with the fact that you know companies don't last forever, right? I, I heard an interview with Bezos, and he was asked essentially this question. He was like, all companies hit their demise and I'm just trying to make it so it's not in my lifetime. And I think that humbleness and awareness is really what um, sets them up well for the long term and they're working hard. But, you know, I think that there's never been a better time actually to be an entrepreneur, but I wouldn't think of it as competing with Amazon and Amazon doesn't see it as competing with everybody else. It's just, how do I serve my customer in the best way that reduces friction and pursue that every single day. And and you're going to run into a great business. And I, I really wouldn't worry about anybody else. So switch gears with me. Let's take a broader perspective. What are you seeing in the market at Rossman Partners and kind of your consulting, your advisory work? What, what are some of the key trends that are really standing out to you? Yeah, well, I think, you know, there's been a lot of benefits. No one would have wanted this pandemic, but there's been some benefits that have come out of this. And I think the first is that this, you know, remote work situation can can actually work. And it allows you to open up your eyes towards talent and your workforce and your partners differently. And so when you're not constrained to an office and a geography and I think that shift towards, oh, we can make this remote work work to our favor, especially in access to talent. I think that that's a big shift as companies now, I think the second big thing is like, there is no hesitation about the need for innovation, the need for change. Now they don't all get how to do it, right? It's a, it's a new set of skills, a new set of investment mentalities, but there is no hesitation at the board and the executive suite that, you know, the the playbook that got us here is not going to be the playbook that gets us there. And I used to sense that and see that in a lot of ways, but you don't get that sense at all anymore. And then, you know, the last thing is just what we've already talked about, which is just Amazon just stands out as like the company who responded, was agile, and, and their long-term investments are now paying off. And they are just ex- continue to accelerate towards the future. 
And I think that's really the essence of my work, which is, you know, how do we work in the future? How do we accelerate it? How do we define it? And how do we be a leader in creating that future versus a victim of that future? So in your book, Think Like Amazon, can you comment on, there's a lot of great really nuggets in there, but what are the most relevant perspectives in, obviously you wrote it before the pandemic, in this after COVID world? Specifically, what do you believe leaders need to kind of think and lead differently on the other side or because of this pandemic? There's a few things that I would hone in on. In one of the chapters, I break down like, hey, everybody's talking about, you know, and working on their digital transformation. But do we actually understand like what does being digital mean? And there's lots of definitions and ways to describe it. No, none of them right, none of them wrong. But the way I see being digital is it's really about two core attributes. And the first attribute is the attribute of speed. And you think about what speed actually is in an athlete. It's about a highly efficient, repetitive, high quality, very fast motion. Well, that's really operational excellence within an organization. And then the second attribute of a digital organization is really around agility. Agility is the ability to sense and make change happen, sometimes small change, sometimes big change. And it's really those two core attributes. And those attributes need to define how you work internally, but it also needs to define how your customers, how your competitors, and how the markets see you. So you have to be both a world-class operator and really good at innovating, creating change, defining change and creating change. You can't be just one anymore. You really have to do, be both. So that would, that's, I think, the first thing that you know people are coming to out of this pandemic. The other thing is all of these ideas, concepts, early stage companies, technologies that just sound you know, nascent and futuristic and, you know, they couldn't possibly really impact my business. I think a lot of people now are like, oh, I have to get curious about this stuff, whether it's, you know, machine learning or blockchain or, you know, what robotics, whatever you're seeing as like the real early investments going on, you need to be early because the price of being not even late, but just being on time is too high. And so teams are getting much more curious, learning about capabilities, new models, new technologies, and then picking their points. When do we start doing little bets, little experiments so that we actually build real life experience with a topic? Then we're much better prepared to actually leverage it when we need to, which really gets to, I think, maybe the third thing I'm seeing is, you know, along with this recognition of being agile is your plan for innovation can't be, well, we hope innovation happens, right? You have to be systematic about it, right? Well, systematic means it has to have a process. It has to have measures. It has to have investment. And senior leaders need to spend significant time in their innovation. They can't just give it lip service anymore. And so that's really where I work with a lot of my clients on. It's like, well, what's your version of actually being systematic about 
innovation. And it's not one thing, right? It's about the playing field that you play in, the culture. It's about your process of how you experiment and innovate. And it's really about kind of how you think about governance and talents and and understanding the differences between operating and innovating. Those are three key things that I see kind of coming out in the post-COVID world. So you and I talked about curve benders as relationships that have a dramatic, if not a profound impact on not just what you accomplish, but kind of who you become. John, can you talk about some individuals, first names are fine if you want more, that have had that impact on you? So who have been some of the curve benders in your life? Sure. You know, one would be a consulting partner of mine by the name of Steve Moppin. Steve was a partner of mine at Arthur Anderson before Amazon, and then he was a partner of mine at Alvarez and Marcel after Amazon. And one of the things that Steve pointed out was just coming out of Amazon, I was a different type of operator. And he said, John, one of the things you always do now is you're working to simplify and clarify. And that is is really a superpower, right? Like, the world is so complex. There's so many ideas. We think we're communicating about the same thing, but oftentimes we're actually not. And those are some of the disciplines that I learned at Amazon. The other uh, individual I'd, I'd mention is a gentleman by the name of Greg Shaw. Greg is in the office of the CEO at Microsoft. He's the co-author of Satya Nadella's book, Hit Refresh. And he's also owns a, a book publishing company called Clyde Hill Publishing, which is the neighborhood we live there in Bellevue. Greg was my first client at the Gates Foundation. I got to serve the Gates Foundation for over eight years when I was at Alvarez and Marcel. And Greg is really the one who called me up to his office one day and I had written kind of a white paper about a topic called future ready self-service. And he said, you know, this is really good. And then he kind of pointed out the 10 things that I should have done better in the white paper because he's an editor by background. And he's the one who said, John, I think you do a really nice job of kind of taking the little components of Amazon technique and strategies and principles and inserting them into our work. And I think you ought to write a book. And that was seven years after I left Amazon. And Greg has been my partner on all of my books and continues to be my partner on those books and is the one who really nudged me and supported me that, hey, you know, we can do this. Being an author was never anything that was on my agenda. I, I had never even considered it. And he's really the one who showed me the path towards being an author. And then I think you know, that I, I got to work for a gentleman at Alvarez and Marcel for 13 years, Tom Elsenbrook, who uh, lives in Houston, a great leader. And Tom's really the one who, who just told me like, you know, John, just lean into who you are and your perspective, especially the, he, Tom would always say, and I'll give this Tom's Houston access. He would always say, uh, John, you know, the further east you go, the smarter you are, you know, and everything. And so, and so Tom was always the one who just encouraged me to like shoot it as I see it and really gave me that confidence that really helped me make more impact in our practice and with my clients. And, uh, I still do a lot of work with Alvarez and Marcel and, and just always appreciated the perspective of independence being your own like delivering your client the right answer, whether they like it or not, whether they fire you that day for telling them the truth or not, that is your obligation. And I, and I think that's a, 
a real principle at A&M and, and Tom did a nice job of kind of making sure everybody understood that. Talking about these curve vendors and you as an author and, and uh, think like Amazon, if you were going to write the next book on Amazon, what would you title it and why? Funny you asked that question. I think the next book, I think that there's really a new set of management principles. Like, you know, for the past 50 years, we've basically taken the industrial age management techniques and leveraged those to, to build the incredible companies, incredible businesses. But I think Amazon, among others, are really showing a different set, an additional set of management principles that are needed in order to compete going forward. And I think, you know, I've already kind of mentioned one of them, which is really this orientation towards long-term investing and prioritizing growth over profitability is another one that you see them like, I'll tell you what, what they focus on at Amazon, and it is primarily about growth and then unit profitability and then overall enterprise profitability. And that is typically the opposite of what most organizations focus on. And so I think that there's a new set of management principles and, and rules that can be adapted. And I think that might be uh, the next book. I don't know quite what the title is. I, I'd love any suggestions, but I think that there's, there's a new set of investing and leader and management principles to complement essentially what we've been teaching in MBA schools for the past 30 or 40 years. I've always believed that after my book comes out, I learn as much, if not more, about my own topic because people read it, internalize it, push back. Have there been any aha moments or anything that after, you know, Think Like Amazon came out that refuted either your perspective or lens or changed it or made you challenge some of your own assumptions? So I published a book uh, several years ago called The Amazon Way. And then, you know, I started getting invited to go out and talk to executive teams, talk to boards, talk to audiences. And I started getting this question all the time, like, well, how would Jeff react to this? How would Amazon invest in this? Would Amazon come compete in this business? And so I started seeing that question in lots of different forms. And that's what really gave me the inspiration for Think Like Amazon. The Amazon way is is just about the leadership principles of Amazon. Think Like Amazon is about the playbook of Amazon. Like, What are the different tools, mechanisms, approaches that they put into practice in different circumstances? And it's really, as, as you're suggesting, like kind of people pushing me on like, hey, these principles are good, but what would they actually do in this moment? That's really what gave me the inspiration for Think Like Amazon. And I think from, from this book, you know, so one of the curious habits of Amazon is, and, and I say curious meaning it's, it's like an odd and not easy. It's not a comfortable thing to do is they write all of their proposals, all their projects, all their investments out as narratives. They don't do PowerPoint. This process of writing narratives is really hard. It's hard for people to actually express themselves in full paragraphs, full sentences, completeness of thought. The whole concept is, a, is that a stakeholder can read the narrative and completely grok, understand the concept that you're presenting. Much different, much harder 
than building a PowerPoint presentation and then getting to present to it. And so there's a few benefits of always writing things out. First is it helps teams be better at understanding exactly what are you proposing here? How would it work? What would the investments be? What's adoption going to look like? What what are the challenges that we're going to have to it? They prepare so much better. And then the second benefit to it is that the, the groups that read these narratives, the executive team, they understand the concept, the investment, the bet that they're about to make so much better. And it really gives them the opportunity to lean forward and shape in very deliberate ways how this thing is going to work, this new product, this new service, this investment that we're talking about. It creates a completely different dialogue and organizations understand what they're entering into much better before they actually start their agile testing processes for it. This is the exact opposite of how most organizations and this process of writing narratives. It's uncomfortable. It takes time. It's slow, but you're so much better prepared once you agree on what the vision is to execute upon it. And that's why in general, Amazon does a really good job. They don't always work. They don't always succeed, but they execute well on their new concepts. I'm going to ask you, this has been fascinating. I'm going to ask a personal question. Disengage yeah. from work. What do you do for fun? How do you play? How do you disengage from all the things we all have to do? Yeah. So I've been very fortunate. How, uh, my wife has just been a great partner in so many things. And we we are a fitness family. So I get up early every day and I work I work out. I do a variety of things. I play squash. I swim. I lift some uh, and everything. And then we've got two boys that have been such a joy. Uh, one just graduated from college. One's still in college. They've been athletes kind of their whole way through and just getting to participate kind of in their uh, athletic pursuits. They've, they've given us some good excuses to get to go and travel the world and, and, and we get to go follow their team still and everything. And so that's that's really been the hobby. And, and, uh, my last one, you, you mentioned you, you, uh, said Rossman. That's like Bossman. Well, we, we have a great dog. His name is Bossman Rossman. And so that little dog has been a fun addition to the family. And, and that's really a pretty simple life that I lead. And so, you know, my passion is just getting physical, uh, activity and then, and then my family. That's awesome. John, this has been great. Uh, again, for our audience, the, the, his most recent, John Rossman's most recent book, Think Like an Amazon. Uh, I've got a signed copy, some great, great nuggets. In this session, we had a chance to briefly touch up on just a few of the nuggets that are in there. Cannot recommend it highly enough. John, thanks for being a guest on our podcast. What's the best way for our audience to learn more about you, your work, and get in touch? Yeah, so the best way to get in touch, john at rossmanpartners.com or LinkedIn. If you want to know what I think, the book's available, hardback, Kindle, and an Audible version. The Audible version is actually a really good listen. And, you know, LinkedIn is, is I guess, the other, the other way. So that's the best way to get in touch. I appreciate you being with us. David, thanks for having me. If you've listened to the Curvebenders podcast for a few episodes, you know that I'm writing the Curvebenders book on why strategic relationships will power your nonlinear growth in the future of work. This will be book number 11 with tools, ideas, insights, case studies, great interviews like the one you heard today. In essence, what you need to create a personal and professional growth roadmap in your future of work. 
I'm excited to begin sharing key sections with the members of our NOR forum community. So go to norgroup.com slash forum and check out the Curve Benders thread for more details. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Curvebenders podcast with John Rossman. Three comments John made during our interview really resonated with me. Number one, attracting versus repelling the wrong people. I often see a lot of talent acquisition and efforts to recruit great people. You seldom see here's who's not right for our organization, whether it's their skills or their knowledge or most often their behaviors. This is the wrong fit. By the way, the last report I read says the cost of a bad hire is 12 times their annual salary. So think about that in how you attract your next crop of talent. Number two, no short-termism at Amazon and their obsession, in essence, with customers and customer experiences and customer behaviors. And are they right all the time? Probably not. No organization I know is. Do they succeed every time? As John mentioned, probably not. But the fact that they obsess around what a customer's thinking, how they buy, how to create not just okay, not just average, but exceptional experiences for them on a consistent basis really drives this organization forward. Number three, the infamous Amazon six-page narratives versus death by PowerPoint, right? It highlights the power of storytelling. I love the fact that Leaders gather. Nobody reads the stuff in advance. They take the time in an hour meeting, 20 minutes or so, to read the six pages together and discuss them there. So think about what it takes and really the anatomy of that six-page narrative. You've got to justify. You've got to really build a compelling case of why this matters. You've got to talk through how you plan to not just test this idea but deploy it and scale it. So It really points to Amazon's culture, particularly from a leadership standpoint, on the power of storytelling and how to engage others through that story. Hey, we're completely revamping our website, and soon I'm turning the show notes from all these podcasts into more in-depth articles, and we'll post them in our blog. So you hope you'll check it out at norgroup.com slash blog. I'm so thankful for our listeners on the Curvebenders podcast. I want to keep producing great content most beneficial to your personal and professional growth in this idea of future of work. So I'd love to hear your feedback. Don't forget to follow us on the various social media channels. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. And I'm using the hashtag CurvebendersPodcast. So make sure you follow that for all of our latest updates. 